Progress report. I'm connecting the bypass circuit now, sir. It should take another half hour. Speed is essential, Lieutenant. Mr. Spock, I haven't done anything like this in years. If it isn't done just right, I could blow the entire communication system. It's very delicate work, sir. I can think of no one better equipped to handle it, Miss Uhura. Please proceed. In 1967, Nichelle Nichols, who passed away very recently, had locked down the role of Lieutenant Uhura on the television show Star Trek. It's hard for us to understand today just how groundbreaking that show was And more importantly, how much Lieutenant Uhura's character changed everything. I was listening to a a, a podcast this week that I like very much. And they made the argument that in so many ways, Nichelle Nichols' character, Lieutenant Uhura, was the most important character on Star Trek, the original series. Not because of the storylines or anything like that, but because of what happened in America because of her, or even if not because of her, but was inspired by her. It's, it's very difficult for us to understand this today. Um, I was three to four years old when Star Trek aired the first time. I'm told by my mother that I watched it, that I was glued to it when it was on. I have no memory of that. I don't remember watching Star Trek until the early 70s, probably around fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. I definitively remember it in syndication reruns. And what I remember about Lieutenant Uhura's character in that era was, number one, I was a very young teenage preteen boy, and Lieutenant Uhura was very beautiful. And I remember never really caring or noticing or being concerned about or in any way, shape, or form taking notice of the fact that she was African-American. It didn't matter. You see, in that world, those things don't matter. There were a lot of things on Star Trek that Nichelle Nichols was able to portray and bring into the canon of Star Trek, if it was, as it were. She's noted for having the first interracial kiss on television. That is not true. It was not. It was, however, the first black woman, white man kiss on television. And the story of that kiss is fantastic. Remember that many of the television stations, the studios didn't want that. They, they were objecting to it. And so they actually wanted the scene filmed a different way. And William Shatner intentionally, knowingly, and purposely, because they were already over time, they were already over schedule, kept screwing up the takes of the alternative. So in other words, the only film they had to use was the two of them kissing. 
I don't want to get into a discussion of the kiss itself. It's pointless. But for all of that, there was a scene in one of the episodes that I think the older I have gotten has resonated more and more with me because it really speaks to what Star Trek in the 1960s, the late 1960s, at a time of great social unrest and difficulty was saying to us. It, again, it's very difficult for me to explain it to you if you were not there. I was a very young child, but I have vivid, vivid memories of my own grandmother of blessed memory who came to visit us in Denver around the same time, the early 70s. And we had gone to the local mall. Malls were a relatively new thing then. They had really not become the the ubiquitous thing that they would be in the 80s. They were, they were kind of unusual. And we took her to the mall because we wanted her to see it. And there in the mall was an interracial couple holding hands and walking in the mall. And my grandmother, of blessed memory, embarrassed the living hell out of us with her southern Christian objections to the idea of a black woman, black man, I don't remember, holding hands with a white woman, white man, whatever it was. And she wasn't quiet about it either. It's hard for me to explain to you that when you come from a Southern family, but you don't live in the South, some things that are funny to your family are highly offensive. Some of the jokes that would be told, some of the jokes that, We told at schools. It was a different world, folks. But there was Lieutenant Uhura on the television every day at 4 o'clock on UHF, showing us, once again, as she had already in the 60s, that this didn't have to be this way. There's a well-known story that after the first season of Star Trek, Nichelle Nichols was frustrated and she wanted to quit the show. She was a very beautiful woman, as you know, and she had had a long and prosperous career on the stage and in singing. She had toured with Duke Ellington, for God's sake. She was really good at what she was. She did her first love. And she found herself in early 1967 at an NAACP event, and at the NAACP event, there was a chance meeting with Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, again, you can read the story for yourself. It's in her autobiography. There are videos of it, the, the whole nine yards. The upshot of the story is that it was Martin Luther King Jr. who, who reminded her that you are doing what we need to be have done. You, you are portraying an African-American woman on television every week. And you're not doing so in an obsequious servitude way. You are showing people what it's supposed to be. Maybe your role isn't the star of the show, but believe me, people are noticing. There's a scene where Spock and Uhura are working on reestablishing communications. And Uhura is stressed because it's a difficult job 
Spock says to her, I can think of no one better equipped to do the job than you. I was on television in the 1960s, folks. And again, to us today, it seems, eh, I don't think you understand the impact of the fact that there were television stations back then that would not show that because of that. And here was Martin Luther King telling Nichelle Nichols, that's what needs to be seen every week. Even if you're only on screen for 30 seconds, people see that. And Nichelle Nichols made the decision to stay. It was the right decision. She would go on in history to become an influencer. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how many people, how many women particularly, credit Nichelle Nichols' character, Lieutenant Uhura, with going into the scientists, going into space, NASA. But even for all of that, it isn't the most remarkable part of the story to me. The most remarkable part of the story to me is when she went back, when Nichelle Nichols went back to Gene Roddenberry, who was the producer of Star Trek, the inventor of Star Trek, the great bird of the galaxy. And she told him, I'm, I'm going to stay. Gene Roddenberry looked at her and said, we've got work to do. The last show I did about absolutism has generated far more response than A, I anticipated, and B, than I normally get. I'll be honest with you. Some days I wonder if anybody's listening. But this one, for some reason seemed to touch people who sensed my own frustrations and sensed my own concerns about what's going on and where do we go from here. And my concern that even education isn't going to be enough. And I started to wonder, is it, is, is it even worth doing? I got texts, one of which, one of which, one of which reads like this. During the last show, I was thinking, quote, education, education. And then you, me, brought up education, and you let me down. Well, that certainly wasn't my intention. I wasn't trying to let anybody down. Sometimes I'm just sitting here venting to myself because, again, this show is really primarily so Ben will know me later on, but sometimes it's just cathartic for me to unload. Sometimes I get frustrated too. Later on, he would add this to the text, and I'm not going to read you the whole text, but uh, I'm so frustrated over current events. I love your Constitution Thursdays. I've been rotating through those almost semi-exclusively. A lot of relevancy. <laughs> he says in parentheses, Dave should give this part a listen and see if his opinion changes. Unclose parent. Other parts I'd like to hear updated. I know you've gleaned new insights since you recorded that. You, you could not possibly be more right. The more knowledge one gains, the more understanding, the deeper understanding one has. I think the recent discussions about the pursuit of happiness have shown that. I've gotten other comments here. Uh, Mike, the Millsurp writer responded anti-federalist papers. Why? He's quoting me. Why? Why? And then he says this, because Ben will learn from your words and develop his experience. 
So will my kids. So will others. Do it. Now is the time to capture this relevance. Mike has a way with words that's really good. If you're not reading his stuff, you should be at the Millsurp writer. There were other texts, other emails, other comments that reflected generally the same thing. And then I came across a post from Chabad, which is, of course, my, my faith. And it said simply this. In the midst of all my frustration about, would this do any good? Would this, would this accomplish anything? It said this. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. And for 24, 48 hours, that sort of percolated in my head, along with these texts and comments and other things that were coming in. And as I was walking this morning, I think I've told you, I, I, I go for at least a half hour walk every morning, was listening to that story once again being told about Nichelle Nichols. And it was the first time I'd ever really caught that Gene Roddenberry quote, we have work to do. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. I have gone out, spent some money, spent way more money than I should have um, on materials for some research. I felt like it was important enough that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. The approach on this study of anti-federalism will not be so much why the anti-federalists were, quote-unquote, right, unquote. Rather, we're going to take the approach, what can we as modern conservatives, I'm just going to tell you, we don't have the same country, we don't have the same understanding, we don't even have the same constitution that the anti-federalists and the federalists were fighting over. But what can we as modern conservatives learn from them? Because you see, they opposed what we revere. But they also served what we serve. Remember that George Clinton, the man for whom the term anti-federalist was coined, went on to become the first vice president of the United States, a heartbeat away from the office. There will be lessons in this that we need to find. There will be ideas that we need to understand and concepts that need to be taught. I think I've told you this before. It was one of the most remarkable discoveries of my life back in the day when I went to Naval Navy instructor training. I learn best when I'm teaching, but I also teach best when I'm learning. Like I said, I spent a lot of money on some research materials and some other things that are just, they're just a starting point, folks. They're just, it's just a page to open to start down a path that I hope will lead us to a better understanding of what it is that we can do. What should we do? And more most importantly, how do we do it? We're going to follow one anti-federalist in particular. There were lots of anti-federalists. Don't, this, this isn't the Federalist Papers where there's three guys and really only two um, writing them. There were a dozen, at least, if not more, anti-Federalists. 
but one in particular who had the best, most cogent, most well thought discussions about why he opposed the Constitution. We're going to go have to go back into Roman history to understand him. His name, by the way, his pen name is Brutus. We suspect that we know his real name, but nobody's really sure. But he chose the pen name Brutus, not because of the Brutus that Etu Brute stabbed Julius Caesar and destroyed a dictator. But the very first Brutus who helped save a republic. We're going to have to go back into Roman history and understand those things. We're going to have to understand history of republics in general. Why do we need to understand that? Because we need to have the same understanding that our framers had about those very events. And keeping in mind that those events happened more than two millennial, two millennia before they were born as well. They didn't experience those events, but they knew them intimately. And we will have to have that same understanding in order to understand the same arguments that Brutus is going to make about why the Constitution, certainly as presented, would be a problem. You'll be surprised at many of the things that he has to say. You will be saddened by many of the things that he has to say. But most importantly... I hope that we will learn together from the things that he has to say, and we will find a way to not be so frustrated, to not be so worried, and perhaps find a way to bring that education and experience together and restore that which, well, we revere and the anti-federalists serve. We will get started soon on this. Like I said, I'm I spent a lot of money. I'm waiting for waiting for Amazon to deliver some things for me. It's going to take a few days, but soon we will get started because there is work to be done. <laughs> <laughs>